the day is really uh, yeah sorry is from John 11 verses 1 to 44 now a certain man was sick Lazarus of Bethany of the village of Mary and her sister Martha and it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick the sisters therefore sent on to him saying Lord behold he whom thou love is sick um, this sickness is not unto the death, but for the glory of God, that the Son may be glorified thereby. Um, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going to there again. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus had told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let him us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet to the, and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man also have kept his man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came into the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by the time they were 
there will be an odor, for his, he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you, if I believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I think that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Thank you, Marianne. Well, let's uh, stay in this passage. Uh, quite a big uh, story recently, uh, really quite a, an exciting uh, story. We've been looking these past couple of months, I suppose, at different people who met Jesus and were, uh, were introduced to him or had their lives changed by him uh, or learnt something uh, from him. Uh, and really who we're thinking about meeting Jesus today is the, the two sisters, Martha and Mary, in their mourning, in their grief, in their sorrow over the death of Lazarus, they meet Jesus and find many things. They find that he offers, uh, he offers real hope, he offers compassion, he offers identifying with them, he offers all uh, these things. But this, you know, reading this story, it does uh, mean we have to face up to something no one really likes to talk about or even think about. We have to talk about death. Uh, and we're highly skilled at living our lives without thinking about it. Uh, and there's never been probably more distractions to keep our minds away from it, to keep our thoughts away from such serious, heavy things. Uh, you'll remember back in March 2020, lockdowns came in. And I think people were thinking about these things a little bit more. Uh, and I could see that. But then the big distraction came. And the question came, what are people binge watching on Netflix? What are they filling their lives with? And I remember, I never watched it, but there was something called The Tiger King, which is a great title, whatever it's about, that uh, apparently people were just watching and watching. Uh, and if people weren't directly affected, they just didn't want to think about death. Distraction was the thing to use. And it doesn't take a time of crisis for us to, to, to find distractions because it's what we're constantly doing we're, we're filling our lives trying to uh trying to feel immortal trying to at least make our lives have some sort of impact make our mark on this world so that we're in a sense immortal we do these things and we may only think about the death itself and its consequences and its grief when our own health is threatened or someone we know and love but death is the sad reality of a broken world martha and mary and obviously Lazarus, uh, face that for themselves. The Bible describes it as the last enemy. We know it's our enemy. No one wants to think about it. No one wants to go through it. It is an enemy. And actually, the, the death is not part of the natural order of this world, but is in fact the consequence of the wrong that humanity has done. This is not how things were supposed to be. Death and everything that's wrong with the world, it's not how God made it. It's not what it's supposed to be. And what the Bible offers us, what this story offers us, is actually hope. Actually hope through Jesus that, that, that death isn't the end. That the last enemy is defeated. 
that there is something more in this life and that we can think about death, we can talk about death, we can grieve, yes, but that there is something more, that there is hope. Because none of us are going to avoid this grief in life. Probably none of us have avoided it. It's part of it. And it is genuinely scary to us. We're afraid of what might be, of not being anymore. And we feel that grief. That's the emotion that we associate with it. We mourn the loss of loved ones. We mourn the loss of life from COVID, from war in Ukraine, from crime and so on. It does affect us. And this is, this is a heavy start to the sermon. I'm very aware of that. But this is real life. This is what we need. And this is what Jesus comes, where Jesus comes to us. He doesn't come to us just in the good times. He's always with us. And in our darkest moments, in our darkest times, he is there and he identifies with us and he loves us. Because this premature death of Lazarus, leaving these women in grief, well, Jesus comes and, and of course he does an amazing miracle. But even more, he, he teaches us some great things about himself, ourselves and the future. So I want us to see three things. First of all, Jesus is more than a miracle worker. Jesus is more than just a miracle worker. Second, Jesus identifies with our greatest needs. And third of all, that Jesus is greater than death. So first of all, Jesus is more than a miracle worker. And this is doubtless the greatest miracle. In fact, we've been looking through John and we've seen some miracles. We've seen some great things happen. The, the man with his, his eyes, uh, who was born blind, his eyes opened. The, 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 some people reference it there. But this is just leading up to the death of Jesus. This is the, the sort of final sign, the final miracle, the, the, the greatest one. He raises someone from the dead. But we need to see what happens before. We read what happened. Lazarus dies, Jesus delays, and then he goes. And Martha, in her grief, she hears that Jesus is coming, and so she goes to meet him. And she gets there, and there's the, the natural um, statement, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can imagine that the confusion. She knows Jesus is powerful. She knows what Jesus can do. And she's thinking, why wasn't Jesus there? Why couldn't Jesus have healed my brother? Why, why can't he still be with us? Jesus has the power. I know this. And Jesus had been told about the illness. And yet he delayed. And it's not that Martha's complaining. She's actually showing faith. But Jesus is going to show her something more. Because what he says is, your brother will rise again. And she says, as we read, she, she knows he'll rise again. But she's thinking at the end of time. She's thinking far, far in the future. And that's sometimes not the best comfort, is it, when, when we're grieving? You know, so, some, sometimes we can be a bit trite and say, oh, well, they're, they're in heaven. And it's like, that's great for them. But, but what about me here who's, who's, who's lost this person? But Jesus is offering some, some greater hope. Martha doesn't quite have the whole picture of who Jesus is yet. She knows he can do great things, but she doesn't quite grasp how much he can truly do. And maybe what she's doing is, is what we do a lot. She's seeing Jesus in a kind of transactional way. She's almost like a, a consumer. Uh, she's focusing on what Jesus can do for her and not on who Jesus is. Uh, we wouldn't treat our relationships here like that, would we? Uh, those of us who are married or even with our, our parents or our siblings. It's not a, a, a transactional thing. It's not a, 
a healthy marriage where the reasons you love someone is because of what they do for you rather than who they are. We love people before who they are, not just because uh, they're good at something or whatever. We love these things about them, but we love someone for, for who they are. And it's the same when we come to Jesus. We love him for who he is. So how do we see Jesus? Who is he to us? Is he someone who's just there to do this, to do this, to kind of be there at the big moments in life? Uh, uh, and then um, he can kind of be pushed to the background when things are going well. No, what Jesus comes and says is, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is saying he's more than we realize. He's not just some good teacher. He's not just a miracle worker. He's the resurrection and the life. We need Jesus himself to have any hope when times of grief, to have any hope when it comes to death. It's all about who Jesus is in himself. He's the resurrection and the life. Jesus is claiming something incredible. He's claiming that eternal life, that hope in this world is all tied up in knowing him in actually having a relationship with him and not simply seeing the things he's done and saying that's nice that's nice but seeing that jesus himself is the one that we need Uh, i think of it a little bit this way our our brothers or sisters or whoever they aren't simply our siblings because uh we live in the same house as them or we grew up with them it's it's genetic it's by blood it's just who they are and it's the same when we come to Jesus. He's, he's, he's our saviour, not because he does good things for us, but it's because who's, who he is. He's not just someone who does things. Of course, he does, and it's glorious, it's wonderful. But it's who he is. He is the resurrection and the life. It's just, it's just it's who he is. It's just what he can't help but do because it just flows out because he's the son of God. He can't be anything but the resurrection and the life. It's only Jesus that can do this. And, and what it means that Jesus is this is that there is hope for us, that there will be a future resurrection, that even though we die, and we all will, we will live forever. That's what Jesus says. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Uh, and he also says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he's not talking about physical death because he's just talked about people dying. What he's saying is that that not only will Christians be resurrected, but in a sense we do never die because we are guaranteed heaven and eternal life. And it's not that we become something different. It's we're still ourselves. We have life that never ends. And we have it now. Jesus is saying that we have this now. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. It's, it's living now. We were guaranteed it. It's not that we come to the end of life and we just hope that we've done enough. Jesus has done it. We've got it now. And so Martha answers, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Because Jesus challenges her. Do you believe this? That's the challenge for us. Do you believe this? What do you believe about Jesus? Is he the resurrection and the life? Is he the Christ, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world? It's Jesus. That's who Jesus claims to be. That's the Jesus that we need the, uh, when she says that, the Christ, the one who's coming into the world, to, to, to people who maybe haven't grown up in church, it can sound a little confusing. But what it's saying, it's the one who's come to save people from their sins. The only one who could. What it's saying is, Son of God means he's God himself. He's the only hope in life and death 
as we sang. Without Jesus, she and we have no hope of, of eternal life. And our lives do pale into hopelessness without Jesus because he is who we need. He is the resurrection and the life. It is all tied up with him. We can't have any of these things without Jesus. We try and live our lives as if we do. We try and build our lives in other things. But only Jesus will do. That's maybe the first practical thing of this. Only Jesus will do. Faith cannot be placed anywhere else. There is no substitute. There is no counterfeit that'll do. Uh, you know, sometimes um, I can be snobby about things. One of the things is coffee. And I will say, no substitute will do. I need my real coffee. Uh, I don't want the instant stuff. Give me the, the, the real stuff. That's what I say. And that's because I'm probably not the best person. But, you know, most people are happy with counterfeits, with, with the, the, the lesser thing. But when it comes to faith, we can't just uh, say that, oh, I can believe in anything or I can believe in this and that. Only Jesus will do. Only him. Only he can save us. You know, I think it was Gandhi who used to say, you know, there's many paths up the mountain, but they all lead to the same place. Basically saying, whatever you believe, if you're a good person, great, go to heaven. Um, but no, Christianity is exclusive. We need commitment to Jesus because he's the resurrection and the life. He is the only way. There is no substitute. There is nothing that will do. But that also brings us on to the, the second sort of practice. Of Jesus will do. Only Jesus will do, but Jesus will do. This is the amazing thing. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. We don't need to perform some rituals, some law keeping. We don't need to do this or that or the next thing. You know, other religions and, and sometimes Christianity has been guilty of it. You know, there's, there's the washings, there's uh, doing rituals, you know, praying five times a day, whatever it might be. Uh, and that's what makes a good person of that religion. But no, all we need is faith in Jesus. Jesus will do. That's all we need, faith in him. There's not some complicated system we've got to go through. It doesn't matter where we're born. It doesn't matter if we've never been in church before, we've been away from church for many years. It's simply faith in Jesus. That is what is needed, just as Martha has in verse 27. But third of all, uh, just on, on, on some more practical things, Jesus does change you here. It's not just uh, a future thing. He says he's the resurrection and the life, and, and we'll see that more clearly later. But he offers life right now. He says, you know, whoever lives, uh, believes in me, though he, um, whoever lives in me, uh, let me find it. Um, I'm the resurrection of whoever believes in me and though he die yet shall he live and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. This is right now. This is in this moment. This is how we live. He offers us that life. And so we don't just live here as if it doesn't matter. We don't just live here uh, without it having any relevance. Jesus changes us. Jesus uh, brings us to live in a new way. And when we're, when we're in relationship with Jesus, when we're close to him, we're living with that, with that new perspective that this life isn't all that there is and that what we do here does matter. It means that we live with hope for our future. When we're focused on Jesus, it can transform our attitudes and the way we live. It's not to be less in this world, but to enjoy this world, to care for this world, to care for its people, to do everything to God's glory. To, to, to live knowing that there is a future for us. To live in that way. 
That is what Jesus does for us because he's the resurrection life. If he wasn't the resurrection and the life, then we would only have this life and it would be quite terrifying. But no, Jesus changes us here and we can live for him. So that is the first thing, that Jesus isn't just a miracle worker. He's the resurrection and the life. He is something more. He is God himself and only he will do. But second of all, he identifies with our greatest need. And of course, as we say, our greatest need, well, our enemy is death. And he identifies with that in, in itself and in our grief. One of the things I used to, to sell cars, and one of the things I learned was that it was one thing to have a good product. It was another thing to actually sell something to someone, to connect with someone, to show them that you were someone that they could trust, that you weren't going to cheat them, that you weren't going to lie to them, that they could trust to, to buy a car off you. You know, some might do that by wearing a, a nice suit, a good suit, or they might throw in some freebies, get the sale. But something I found could be a lot more effective was to actually find some sort of personal connection. So you actually talk to the person, you actually, uh, they feel like you know them, that you care about them. Uh, and you do genuinely care about them. it wasn't just a tactic. Um, but Jesus isn't trying to sell us a product. But what he's offering is himself. And Martha says how he comes down from heaven. Well, he doesn't come acting all high and mighty, even though he's God. You'd think if anyone could act all high and mighty, it would be God. What he does is he comes and he connects with us. He identifies with us in our greatest needs, our greatest need. We're facing death. We're facing grief. And Jesus comes as he comes to, to, to Martha and he comes to Mary, who says the same. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus looks around and he sees her and the Jews weeping. And he has two reactions. And, and the first is that he's deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Uh, and you could actually translate that deeply moved. It's, it's anger. It's indignation. That's really what deeply moved uh, in the original language means. He's angry at what's happening. When he sees the grief of Mary, when he sees the death of Lazarus, he's so moved that it's almost like anger. And it's not anger at Mary for crying. It's anger because of the way the world is. Not how he created it, but the way the world has been broken by sin. How death has entered this world. And that grieves God. That grieves Jesus, uh, and this sin that, that's caused this world to be such a, a dark place that causes so much grief. He's angry because death has come through sin and broken everything. Uh, uh, and that's how we see Jesus relates to us, how he identifies with us, isn't it? Because we feel that anger. We feel that anger when we're faced with these things. We feel that, that pain, that indignation. We have that sense that this isn't how it should be. Why us? Why does this happen? We, we know that feeling. Something about human, being human means we have that emotion, that capacity for it. We know it's not how it should be. And that's okay to, to feel like that because that's exactly how Jesus feels in these situations. That's how he identifies with us. He sees what's wrong with the world and he knows this isn't how it's supposed to be. This isn't what, he says, this isn't what I created. This is a broken world. And he knows even more than we do, how much better things should actually be. He knows even more. So that's his first reaction, how he identifies with us. But then when he comes to the tomb, we have the shortest verse in the Bible. There's a bit of trivia for you, the shortest verse. 
Jesus wept. And it's not that he was crying about Lazarus, actually, because he knew what he was about to do. He knew Lazarus was about to be risen, uh, raised from the dead. Again, he's grieving because sin was there, because death was there, because people were grieving. And again, he identifies that that weeping is there. And what it tells us is that Jesus truly is compassionate and kind with every single one of us, that he identifies with us in our greatest fear, in our greatest needs. And in fact, the, the rest of the story of the life of Jesus, what's coming next for him is his own death. And when he was contemplating his death, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was killed, he was praying. Uh, and he was sweating so much, there was blood uh, coming out, which is actually, uh, I think, scientifically a reaction that can happen in great stress. And he was praying to his father, "If it's take this cup from me, take this away from me. And yet at the same time he says, but not my will, your will be done. He knows more than we do the pain of death. He went to the cross and he took that death on himself and so he can weep with us he understands us he has compassion on us he has experienced that full weight of death and sin he knows he understands and clearly from this passage he cares so deeply for each and every one of us suffering through grief contemplating our life and death he, he doesn't look at us and think they're so silly look at them worrying he, he He weeps with us. He grieves with us. And when we experience that suffering, when we we see it in the world, what we can do is we can look to Jesus. We can look to him in Gethsemane, look to him on the cross and see that he truly understands, that he truly cares, that he was willing to go through this, that he isn't indifferent to our suffering, just the opposite. He understands it fully and he's with us in it and he identifies with us in the strongest possible way. And that's what we need a lot of the time. So often we can give platitudes to to people who are suffering. God's got a plan. He works all things together for good. And it's true. And yet that's not what we need to hear sometimes. And actually we need to learn from Jesus. Because even though Jesus knows the plan... And he's going to come back to that. Even though he knows everything, his first reaction isn't to say, I've got a plan, just stop crying. His reaction is to weep with them, to be there with them, to be angry at at death. That's him. He moves towards the grieving and he empathizes with them. He's with them there as he is now through his spirit. He feels that emotion. And that that is good news for us that Jesus is with us in these things. That as we meet Jesus, we meet someone who's never going to leave us, but who's always going to be there with us in that, in these things. But also maybe it teaches us a lesson, how, how we respond to grief and how we help others. It's not wrong to mourn. It's not wrong to feel that grief. In fact, the Psalms are full of it. It's a good thing to, to be in touch with our emotions, if you want to put it that way, to experience these emotions. But we do it with Jesus. We do it with him with us. And when others are suffering, we go to them and we don't try and give them the snappy answers and just think we can make them feel better by one verse or something. No, we sit with them and we grieve as Jesus does. Grief is not a failure of faith. Pain is not a failure of faith. Jesus teaches us. Jesus shows us in his life 
This is part of being human. This is part of living in this world. And we all experience it. And Jesus is there with us every single time. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He invites us further, deeper into something to give us a new perspective. Because Jesus identifying isn't all that we need. There is something that we cannot do for others, but that Jesus can do for them. And that's what we see when when we see him raise Lazarus from the dead. There's the questions, couldn't he have saved this man since he opened the eyes of the blind? Well, Jesus shows them, yes, I can. And I can save everyone. Our third and, and final point Jesus is greater than death. You know, the the crescendo of the story is that miraculous part. The one that gives us hope in this life and for the future. It's it's the acted out reality that Jesus is the resurrection, the life as he claimed to be. There was no doubt Lazarus was dead. Everyone watching knew it. He was in the tomb. He'd been there four days. There'd be no knock on the stone, you know, let me out of here. The, The smell was there. No one, Martha doesn't want the tomb open. It's going to smell. Of course it would. But Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? When Jesus said this, he's, he's saying, I'm the resurrection, the life, that, that faith in him being that shows the glory of God. And the glory of God is one of these phrases that Christians throw around, isn't it? And what it basically means is, is making his name great, showing his power, showing his goodness, showing his uh, care for this world that is is god's glory you know when, when someone has glory a sports person whatever they've done something incredible they, they've been the best well when god shows his glory he's doing amazing things and so jesus prays not because he he, he needed to then but to show the people that that, that that god does these things that his father is with him and it's a miracle of epic proportions it's it's the last one before his own death and resurrection, and he raises someone from the dead. Of course, it's only possible by the power of God. It is a miracle. What it tells us is that Jesus is greater than death, that there is hope for us. Even in our darkest times, there is that flicker of hope because death isn't the final word. The last enemy has been defeated. Death has been defeated. Many try to cheat death, Many wish for a cure for every illness. We all do, of course. But some people are so obsessed with these things that um, they want their bodies frozen. Uh, They want to be cryogenically frozen or something like that. And some have actually done this. And they kind of hope that in the future, science and medicine will have advanced far enough that they can sort of be resurrected and kept alive and live forever. it's, It's a pseudoscience. It's a false hope. But that's what, you know, that's what people want. They don't want to die. No one, no one does. But what we have here is a foretaste of what Jesus will do. When he dies, as we saw already, he rises again, as Lazarus does. He himself, though, comes up from the dead. He's not called out by someone else. He rises from the dead. And the stone is rolled away miraculously for Jesus. Well, for for, for Lazarus, it had to be removed. So when we see this, we're actually being pointed to what Jesus will do. Lazarus will die again, but Jesus will never die. As he says, I'm the resurrection life. Whoever believes in me will never die. And so what this miracle points us to is that there is hope for us. The hope of the gospel isn't that we don't physically die, as we already said. Even Jesus himself had to do that, didn't he? 
It's that Jesus brings resurrection. He's the resurrection and the life. And this miracle proves that to us. It means that we do have a future hope, that we too will be resurrected from the dead. Jesus doing this to Lazarus proves that. Death has been defeated and all its associated grief is not taken away here and now, but it will be undone. That there is somewhere else for us. There is something new. There is hope for us because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And and all of us, whether we're Christians today or whether we don't yet believe, we need to be brought back to this. We need to, to remember this. Because we will think about these things. We will have to think about them sometimes, about death and about grief. And we need to ask, do we have hope? Do we have the hope of the resurrection and the life? Do we have the hope that only Jesus brings? Do we know Jesus for ourselves and all that he gives? It doesn't take away the pain now, but it does give a new perspective. It does give that hope for the future. And it is freely available to every single one of us. Simply, as we said, by believing in Jesus. Only Jesus will do, but Jesus will do. So let's just finish with that question that Jesus asks Martha. Do you believe this?